Hi there, it's Mark, and welcome back to Article Club, where we read, annotate, and discuss one great article every month on race, education, or culture. Welcome to April, everybody, and I'm excited that you're here. And the reason is that we have been focusing on this outstanding article called The Sunset by Lisa Bubert. It was originally published in Long Reads, and it's really poignant and outstanding. And what it is, is that it is a personal experience, a personal essay by Lisa Bubert of her experience working in a nursing home when she was a college student about 10 years ago. I highly encourage you to read it if you haven't done so. And if you like it, which I think that you will, I want to encourage you to sign up for our discussion. We are going to be talking about the article on Sunday, April 30th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Pacific time over on Zoom. And you can sign up for the discussion by going to highlighter.cc slash discussion. If you haven't done um, Article Club before, it's just a really thoughtful community of readers who really just like reading the best nonfiction. And a special thing's going to be happening on the 30th. Um, Lisa is actually going to be there. Our author who wrote this piece is going to be there talking about her piece with us. So I highly encourage all of you not just to read the article, but also to come on by and to sign up for the discussion. Um, with that said, I want to just get right into the interview. I had the opportunity to speak with Lisa a couple of days ago, and she's just really amazing. We talked for a few minutes, and she just really got into the piece. And I won't go into everything that we talked about, but it was just really great to talk not just about her experience in the nursing home, but how she approached writing this piece. It wasn't something that was particularly easy for her, she says, to write. Um, and it took some time to sort of figure out what was right. And so we talked about a whole lot of different topics. And one of my favorite things is just how working with the elderly is something that we know, like we like our grandparents in our society, but we do not like our elderly. And it was just really wonderful for her to be there, to, to offer dignity to the people that she worked with. And she said a whole lot about how true dignity requires us to witness people in in their fullness. And so I won't go too much more, but I wanted to share that. Um, she's just a wonderful person, and I hope that you enjoy this interview. Here it is. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for doing Article Club. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Your piece is wonderful. It's so well-written, so beautiful, and just wanted to talk to you about it. It's called The Sunset. You wrote it not too long ago, but it's a piece from 10 years ago or so, right? Yes. So it covers a part of my life from about 10, 15 years ago at this point when I was working in a nursing home as a young college student. And then it, it jumps ahead to just right at the start of the pandemic when we lost my grandmother. Um, and so the essay also focuses on that. But yeah, it, it kind of spans the time of, of the past decade up until present. My first question is about why did you decide to write it now? Is it because of the pandemic? Why sort of now? I have been trying to write about my experiences working in the nursing home for years, and I just could not, I couldn't figure out the right way into that. You know, I would try to start something and it just, it just wouldn't take, it just didn't feel right. And, and the same, uh, you know, when my 
uh, her, her name is Granny Kay in the essay. When my first grandmother passed away, I went through a period where I was trying to write about that experience as well. And I, you know, wrote around it a lot. But I, again, I just couldn't figure out how to really encapsulate it. And then when my Granny Nawara passed away at the beginning of the pandemic, that was another thing where I wanted to write about this and I was trying to find a way in and I couldn't. And one thing that I have learned that I, I repeat to people a lot when I, you know, teach classes or I work with people who are writing their own essays, personal essays about really tough, um, traumatic stuff is that sometimes you are just still too close to what has happened to be able to really um, still it down and to be able to write about it with both the distance you need, but also without, with both distance that you need, but also the ability to, to like, dig in to those really hard things. It's it's interesting because an article that deals with such difficult memories and things that bring up, tra you know, traumatic memories or really upsetting, like grieving times like that, it, you, you have to have enough distance to see how it relates to the large scale of your life, but you also still have to be close enough to that pain that you can, you know, really access it and be able to talk about it clearly. And one thing I find, you know, people who, who are trying to write personal essays, trying to get out um, some really painful topics, a lot of times I see that they're they're too close to their topic still, and they're protecting themselves when they're writing by staying distant from it in a way. And yeah, so I guess that's a long a long way of saying that like. I have been trying to write this essay ever since I started working at that nursing home, but I finally had found the right way in when Granny Wire passed away and I had time in the pandemic to just really process everything that was going on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because even at the beginning of the piece, I didn't quite know exactly how much longer or how much later it was, but it seemed like you took care of this 19-year-old college student in some ways. Like it seems like you're a little bit like, hey, I'm just gonna try it. I mean, do you remember that time when you said, Oh, I'm gonna try this job? Yes. Somewhere my mother is laughing. I went to college for music first. I went to college to for, as a French horn player to play, you know, I studied music performance. And after the first year of that, I was like, that is not what I thought it would be. I didn't want to do that anymore. And I was so lost in my second year of college. I, I knew I didn't want to play music, but I didn't really have any plans other than that. And I really, my mother is a nurse. She's always, you know, for as long as I could remember, she's been working in the medical field and, and surgery and nursing. And I thought, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to go into the medical field. I, I'd, I'll try that. You know, that's something that I'm familiar with. And so that was my thought was, all right, I'm going to start taking all these science classes, which by the way, I'm terrible at science. Like chemistry was a bloodbath when it came to grades. It was, it was terrible. It was not a good year for me in college. I actually, I actually flunked out that year. So that should have been a sign that maybe, maybe science and medical field isn't for me. But so that was the thought I, when I applied for that job, I, you know, I was like, I want to get a job working in some kind of medical field. My mother had told me like, well, why don't you try starting with a certified nursing assistant certification because that's kind of like the entryway and then you can just you know you're doing things like caring for people taking their vitals blood pressures things like that um, you learn the basics of first aid and and care and that interested me so and like I say in the essay that was the that, that was the place I applied to and they were so hungry for work they were like yep <laughs> come on you 19 year old college kid. <laughs> yeah, they gave they gave you the job. And later in the piece, you say, well, if anybody wants to get a job, you can get a job, especially with the turnover. Pretty much. And I think 
I'm I'm almost positive that that's still you know still the case right now. Um, the turnover is just so high. They're they're hungry for just people who will do the work of the caregiving. Yeah, the guy at the beginning he said something. He said, "Treat each resident like they're your grandmama," and and I just write like that's in the first paragraph, and it seemed like you did through the piece. I mean, I I tried to, and I and I want to make it clear, and I feel I feel like I try to I try to make this clear in the piece that because I was so young, and because I was small, and honestly because I was white, I was usually assigned easier shifts. I mean, the the hall that I worked in was, you know, I mean, I I would get assigned to different halls, but but the hall that I usually worked on was the hall that was the easiest one. It was where the elderly residents were, you know, mostly independent. Um, They were mostly lucid. They didn't need, you know, full care. They didn't need two people to help them up and get them into their chair. They didn't need to be, you know, spoon fed. They didn't need um, to help assistance with showering and hygiene and, and, you know, anything like that. And so to that end, it was easy for me to treat, you know, to have that in my head all the time, treat them like your, you know, like your grandmother. But I mean, there were other halls where that was really difficult to do because there, there were people that needed full total assistance. They would need to be bathed in bed. They would need to be, you know, transferred, you know, to two nurses or two two CNAs have to, you know, transfer them to their chairs to go to the restroom or, you know, they would need to be changed in bed. They'd need their bed sheets. I mean, just, just the sheer amount of physical work that has to be done in order to do that. It's just impossible. And I mean, I think I said in the, in the essay, it's just an impossible task. And so it's, it's like, you'll, you'll go in with the idea of like, okay, like, you know, these are human beings. These are vulnerable people. I want to treat them like my grandparents, like you go in having empathy, but then the work is so difficult and there just are not enough people. And the pay is so low that it is so it's hard to just it's hard to keep that empathy at the forefront. And it, and I don't want to even say that people people that are like at their max in these jobs don't have empathy because they absolutely do. They absolutely have the utmost empathy, but they just don't have the support. <laughs> so it um yeah, it's just really it's really difficult to do that job and still provide the care that you would want to provide if it were your own grandparent. I mean, it you can do your your most in that job and it still will not um it will not be what you want for any of your loved ones. I appreciate that you mentioned um, race, not just here, but also several times in the piece. Um, I picked up on it, you know, in the first page or two, but then you bring it back too. Um, can you say a little bit m- more about also halls three and four, how you were placed in hall seven, maybe how like you, you didn't talk about like how you experienced being a coworker of some of your, uh, of your peers, it seems like you really are thinking about race in this piece, even though it's about all these other things. Can you say more about why? Yeah, I mean, it was something, I mean, at the time when I was in it, of course, I was I was too young and honestly just, I hadn't been out in the wider world enough to really like, you know, see what I see what I was seeing. It was only until I, you know, I'm older, I live in a you know, much more diverse, historically black city now and, you know, doing a lot of work of, you know, anti-racist learning and whatnot. And then when I look at back on the experiences I've had in work, I, it's like, I can look back and clearly see like, oh yes, there was, there was a, you know, 
there was a division there. I mean, most of I, I was the only coworker that I can remember, or the only CNA that was working there that I can remember that was a single unmarried college student. Um, there were single mothers, there were, you know, married mothers, there were older women with grown children, but for the most part, everybody was, you know, older, they were, they had children at home that they were caring for, and the majority of the workers were Black women, and that's just, that's just what it was, that's where, um, that's just what the majority of the co-workers were, and, and again, because I'm just <laughs> a young college student who, you know, I had to, you know, had a lot of hard work in my life or whatever, but, you know, just kind of walking into the job, I, you know, I can totally understand that somebody would look at me and say, well, she's not going to be able to lift. She's not going to, you know, be able to handle this. We have to go, we have to boom, boom, boom. Like, I don't have time to explain it to you, all that kind of stuff. Um, And I can see, you know, why the head nurse, you know, thought it would make more sense to assign me to an easier hall and why other coworkers get assigned to these more difficult halls. But I mean, to, you know, I, I don't think you can ignore the racial dynamic of where people were assigned and, and why, you know, nobody wants to say like it's because of race or anything like that. But I think you have to look at the systemic reason as to why majority of workers that are working low wage jobs are people of color. Yeah. And Later in the essay, you talk very deeply and beautifully about dying and how dying is for the vulnerable. It's the most vulnerable act that we have. And also like this idea of witness and the idea of like seeing somebody um, and being there with them, you know, as they die. And just what you just said about who is actually doing the work, meaning Black women doing the work. I guess one of the big questions that I had is, did you do you see any other way through for white America and how we feel about older people and death and dying? I mean, there has to be. And I, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to really think about my words. When it comes down to it, you know, what what needs to happen in every situation to make, you know, every area of our society that is really lacking where there is not enough attention and there's not enough care is the fact that there's just simply not enough resources to go around. And when it and when I say resources, I mean money. <laughs> there is not enough tax dollars going to elder care in general. Uh, it gets, you know, elder care is not something that a lot of people who go into the medical field want to want to work with. It, you know, the people who are working in elder care, you know, sometimes it can be seen as a, you know, a job of a last resort or it's it's a temporary, you know, it's just I'm doing this temporarily until I, you know, move on to the next thing and that's that's not again, that's not to say that's because people working in these fields don't have the utmost empathy for it, but it's because the jobs are low paid. They are, you know, not very well regulated. It's just really difficult to get and retain really great workers in these areas because because of the pay, because of the way the resources are allocated and everything like that. And I, you know, and the thing is, is that no one is going to advocate for a vulnerable person more than, you know, no, nobody's going to advocate for a vulnerable, vulnerable person more strongly than that vulnerable person's family or loved ones. So of course, it's easy for me to 
you know, go sit with my grandmother for three days while she's, while she's dying. You know, it's, it's easier for me to, you know, go visit my, my other grandmother, you know, every week. And of course that got, that got harder because it was, it was sad. And I think when I look back at that time in the nursing home, the, the people who got, I don't want to say the best care, but, but did have like the most support were the people whose families were checking in. They were, they had families visiting all the time. They had families checking in with the nurses. They were always checking in on the care and the ones that, you know, really kind of got the short end of the stick were people who didn't have a lot of outside advocacy for them. And, you know, and the thing is, is that, I mean, we're, we're about to enter a period where, you know, boomers are going to be aging into their own elder care systems. And there's just going to be, there's still going to be a lot of people that are not necessarily going to have that familial friend support. And I feel like I'm going down a sad, <laughs> depressing path. But I mean, I, I guess if we want to say that, you know, the way through, you know, is to, you know, you have to, you have to really think about the loved ones in your lives that are getting into that elderly age. And you have to, you know, even just simple things like visiting, you know, writing letters, calling, going to visit, advocating for them at the nurse's station, you know, doing all of these things. Those are, those are so very important because not only does it make the person who is in the care, you know, remind them that they are loved and and that they haven't been forgotten and that they are wanted. But it also, you know, sends a signal to the care facility, like this is a person that has has a support group around them that, you know, that care for them. And, And again, that's not to say that the care facility wouldn't care for that person, you know, or wouldn't try to care for that person well otherwise, but it's very heartening for CNAs and nursing, you know, nurses who work in these facilities to see family members coming in and visiting their people. Because it makes you it makes you feel like you're not having to carry it all by yourself. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. And also it's in your piece too. Like there's obviously a lot of injustice in your piece. There's a lot of sadness in your piece, but there's also a lot of ton of humor and um, just a lot of humanity, obviously. And one of them is we have to remember our sunsets too with our granny case. And that was such I just want to ask you how you wrote that paragraph or that that passage. Um, it you know because it's an essay that has the different pieces. You also have to decide when to put it in. Can you just talk a little bit about that scene? It's just so beautiful. Oh, thank you. I think about that. Um, I think about that sunset a lot. Honestly, it. I remember when it was happening. Um, it was seared. It was seared into my brain. Yeah, I, I feel like. I feel like there are moments. Um, you know, in our lives where we know that something is happening in that moment that we're going to remember forever. You know, sometimes it's obvious you're walking down the aisle to your, to your spouse that you're going to marry, or you're watching, you know, a loved one pass away in a hospital bed or, you know, but sometimes there are these tiny little moments like, you know, I'm driving my grandmother to our Christmas dinner and she is really, watching this sunset and just the way she sat up. I just, you know, I, it was just a moment where, you know, I, I could just feel it. I was like, this is something that I'm going to remember the rest of my life. And that's what I feel like a lot of my, I mean, really all of my essays and especially this piece, this piece is a collection of those moments. Um, you know, when I'm working in the home, the, the, the lady who would wear all the jewelry and we would eat chocolates and talk about boys. I remember, I remember sitting next to her 
and having that moment and thinking like this is something i'm going to remember forever because this is such a lovely moment or you know uh helping the other lady who i mean she couldn't she really couldn't remember shit when i she doesn't remember shit she really didn't remember shit but she just was laughing and she was so happy and poor thing didn't have any teeth and so we, we would just you know we'd all sit at the table and laugh together it's just um so yeah i i think when i look at all the disparate pieces of that essay you know i mentioned earlier that it this, this is something that i had taken like you know over the course of 10 or more years to kind of cobble together and it is cobbled together of moments where I just had a moment where I'm like, I'm going to remember this forever because this right here, like this is what it's all about. So yeah, I don't know if that helps answer the question of how I wrote it, but a lot of, a lot of how I write is by feel anyway. And it, it, you know, just kind of felt like that was the correct time uh, to put that, that moment in. And um, you know, one thing I talked about with the editor of the piece, his name is Peter Rubin, and he's editor with um, Long Reads and Automatic, and he he's wonderful. I love Peter. Um, we actually had a discussion about he really wanted the sunset paragraph with my with Granny Kay to be the last. He's like, that's the end. You should, you know, that's where you should end it. And I really wanted it to end on the scene, you know, the smoking scene where I'm in with all, you know, all of our older residents and we're smoking and they're having a good time. And, you know, we, we did go back and forth and I really like hung true. I was like, I really, I really want that smoking scene to be the final one because it's light, it's hopeful, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not like so final. The sunset paragraph, it's beautiful and it is very final. You know, it's, it is very final, but you know, I mean, life is never final. It just goes on day after day and some days are good and some days are bad. And next day, you know, tomorrow will always come. So that's, that's really why I wanted to end it there and how I kind of navigated by the feel of like, you know, this is, this is a great moment and it, it does belong towards the end, but it doesn't belong right at the end. Yeah. That's amazing because I was going to ask you about the smoking scene too, because when I was reading along and you came back to the sunset after, um, you know, your grandma Narara passed away, I was like, okay, it's the end. And then I was like, oh, there's a whole other scene. And the first time I read it, I was like, why is this funny scene here at the end? And then after I thought about it, it was exactly what you just said, not just the lightness and not just like the, that, like we all go on, but also I felt like you were trying to, to make a, a statement there as well. Also, because I think the piece is not necessary. I thought it was going to be about Granny Kay, but I feel like it's the time from when you were 19 to now and also like what you've learned. Um, and that last scene is absolutely hilarious. It was, oh gosh, I, I really would volunteer for it every time because I did look forward to it because they would, they would get in there and we'd light up their little cigarettes and they'd just be like yelling across the room at each other and there'd be laughter and half of them, you know, don't even know what's going on anymore anyway, but they're just, I don't know. It really was, it was a muscle memory of, of picking up a cigarette and inhaling it and just feeling like, you know, I have all the time in the world. I'm just going to sit here and smoke this cigarette and, you know, just have fun. And I, I don't know, humor, humor is very important to me. It's the only way that I can find to, to get through, um, this world pretty much. I'm glad you found it funny because I, I really like to try to end with some levity because especially when you've had a piece that can be really, really hard to take in. I mean, that's, that's all of life. Life is really hard to take in, but life also has like, I don't know, life is hilarious sometimes. It's just, it's just funny. 
It totally is. Yeah. And also, though, okay, so it got me thinking that you talk about um, vulnerability and also witness and um, specifically dignity. And so you have dignity in all of these very deep ways. But then right at the end with the smoking scene, you are dignifying them for basically, you know, they're having the time of their lives. They're killing themselves, but they're already dying. You know what I mean? With the yeah, whole thing. <laughs> but, but, but ultimately you're seeing them. You are seeing them in the moment of who they are as real people who might be thinking about their younger times, or they might just be enjoying having the nicotine right, right then and there. It, I just thought it was really beautiful. Yes. I, you know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you kind of put the idea of dignity and witness together because that, um, you know, I've, I've had, I had that nursing home job. That was my first care job. Um, I, you know, we talked briefly right before we started interviewing about, I work as a librarian um, in Nashville and I work at a branch that sees a lot of unhoused patrons, a lot of unhoused people, a lot of people who are struggling with mental illness, people who are struggling with substance abuse, who are, you know, just trying to like get through their day with as little friction as possible in a life where there is just a lot of friction. Every day is friction. And, you know, the number one thing that we have learned at that branch is, you know, it's not just to like, it's not just to be kind. It's not just to like, you know, help them, you know, as much as you can, you know, help them with whatever they need to accomplish at the library as much as you can. The biggest part of, of my job and and how, you know, we we get through that job, um, you know, having relationships with people is is that idea of witness. You know, a lot of people, just the fact that you look at them and you say hello, you know, somebody who walks in that's clearly unhoused, that hasn't you know, been able to get to a shower in a while, that has all of their bags, everything that they own, with them in hands they walk into a building already thinking like I'm not wanted here I don't belong here somebody's going to say something to me they're already coming in with those defenses up so just just the fact of looking at them saying hello asking how their day is um getting their name remembering their name shaking their hand that is like that just is the job and that is what gets them through sometimes when there's a really hard day Yesterday, actually, I had a I had a patron that that came in that um, he had lost his phone. Somebody had stolen his phone. Whatever we had gone, you know, we went through that. We couldn't find his phone, and then he just kind of hung back for a little bit, like he had something he wanted to say. And I was, you know, I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, what is it? He said, he said I write I, I wrote I write poetry, and he's like, and I I really wanted to share the poem the poem with somebody, and I and he just was kind of like. You know, he was scared to like really say anything more. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll read it. And he was like, you will? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll read it. And he gave it to me. And it was this beautiful little poem about just all the, all the difficult stuff that we've been dealing with in our city of Nashville lately. You know, just all, all of the all of the unrest and, you know, the, the wondering why things are happening the way they're happening and, you know, all of that stuff. And it was just this beautiful little poem about you know, loving your neighbor and, you know, having consideration for others and treating people with dignity. And just the fact that I read the poem, said I loved it, I made him sign it, you know, he said I could keep it. It was wonderful. And that like, you know, it didn't matter if one was missing anymore. I mean, obviously, it does matter. But, you know, he walked away lighter than when he came in. And like, how easy is that to just like, tell somebody, hello, you know, shake their hand, get their name, you know, meet them where they are and what they need. It's, it's so simple. And that is, 
that's how you afford people dignity. You just witness them as they are and you just accept them where they're at. It's so beautiful. You say how easy and simple it is, but it is not for a lot of people. And I just met you and obviously, obviously just read the piece and the the beauty of the piece, you know, comes through. And then now just talking to you for 20 to 25 minutes, just really appreciating who you are and what you bring. And like that you're also saying yes to coming to our discussion in a few weeks. I just really appreciate it. I, I appreciate that you asked me to do the podcast. I appreciate that you asked me to, you know, to come to the group. I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'm so thankful that you have kept this up for as long as you have and will co- hopefully continue long into the future as well. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much for this and also your piece and looking forward to talking to you again in a couple of weeks. Excellent. Thank you so much. I want to thank Lisa Buber once more for writing the piece, obviously, but also for coming onto Article Club to share her thoughts about her outstanding essay, The Sunset, and also for saying yes. You know, she's going to be coming to our discussion on April 30th from 2 to 3.30 p.m., and I really would like to encourage you to join and to sign up. And so if you are interested, yet again, all you need to do is go to highlighter.cc discussion and sign up, and then I'll email you all the information including the Zoom link. Um, If you are a first-timer, please just get all your questions um, asked, and I'll make sure to answer all of them, because I do understand, like, for the first time to doing anything, uh, there might be a little bit of trepidation and nervousness, and I just want to assure you that we are just, you know, a good, kind, thoughtful group of folks from across the country who just really care about the best nonfiction. So I hope that you give it a try. If you have any questions, you can also email me at mark at highlighter.cc. Anyway, thank you again for listening to this interview with Lisa Bubert. And thank you for all your support of Article Club and hope you have a good weekend.